key for small businesses to get through this pandemic is, is really to, to adapt and, and pivot and be creative, but also to hang on. This month on Ebb and Flow, we take you from ocean to farm to table as we speak with the young couple behind some very well-known enterprises in Mystic and Stonington, Connecticut. That couple is Jane and Dan Miser. And if they don't sound familiar, you may recognize names like Oyster Club, The Treehouse, Engine Room, Grass and Bone, and Stoneacres Farm. As Forbes magazine stated in a recent article about these businesses, quote, Mystic's culinary scene these days is much more than an admittedly good slice of pizza, end quote. That is largely due to the work of my two guests today. We'll ask them how they have built this symbiotic family of outstanding ventures and how they always seem to stay ahead of the curve, even through COVID-19, which has been no friend to the food community. And if they'll let me, we'll ask how they've done all of this while raising a family with all that that entails. I'm Paul Leeming of UBS Long River Wealth Management. Welcome to this month's edition of Ebb and Flow. So, Jane, Dan, welcome to you both. Thanks for being here. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. So, quick anecdote for the audience. Just before I called Jane and Dan for this, they texted to say, we just need to eat lunch in the next three minutes. So that gives you an idea of how busy they actually are. So I truly am grateful for their time today. So first, guys, I know you're no stranger to good press, but congratulations on that Forbes article I referenced. It really does shine a national spotlight on the good work you're doing here in the community. So Jane, any credit due to you from your former PR background? <laughs> I would love to take some credit for that, but I I think the, the credit really is due with all of the different organizations and, and businesses and the teams within those that we work with. So. <laughs> well, well, congratulations. In any case, it was, a, it was a great article. I recommend everyone take a look. So why don't we start with some background Dan, where did the idea for your restaurant group come from? What is the mission of your 85th day food community? And and how did your team bring it to life? Sure. No, that's, that's a great question. You know, the, the 85th day food community, which started with Oyster Club, started about nine years ago. And the idea for me has always been a dream. An idea for me has always been to have a restaurant where we can really spark that conversation between our guests and the food community that supports such a, a pivotal part of a local community like a restaurant. And so our mission is every day is to tell that story, to tell the story of the farmer, of the fishermen, of the folks who work within our restaurant group, to make those connections between what happens in the field and down at the town docks, and how that all culminates in a beautiful plate of food that might end up on your plate at Oyster Club or, or Grass and Bone or Engine Room. So, you know, our, our team, as you know, started off at Oyster Club with myself and James Wayman, who's our extraordinarily talented chef, and now my business partner. And two people that have, you know, very similar ideas about food and sourcing food and sustainability and community and how to grow a business. So that's, that's sort of how we got started, and the rest has been this really beautiful ride of bringing on more people to our team, looking at businesses and opportunities in new light, working with more folks in our community, and, and really kind of touching more and more. You mentioned all the people in the community, and I, I doubt many people appreciate how big of an organization you've built and how many people you are employing, and I know that number has has shifted of late, most likely, but what is sort of the range of employees that you have right now? 
Yeah, I mean, pre-COVID, we were just over 200 people. And to this day, the single hardest and most gut-wrenching decision that I've ever been a part of in my life was to lay off a lion's share of those folks on Monday, March 16th. That was the day when Connecticut closed dining as we know it. Very proudly, we've been able to hire a lot of those folks back and get them back working, you know, in the restaurants, in the kitchens, in the dining rooms and bars of our restaurant. And same thing at Stone Acres. You know, Stone Acres has really been able to bring a, a full team on board to help with the summer harvest. So it, it's been a bittersweet last five months, but proud to say that we are headed in the right direction for sure. That's great news and a, and a job well done. So you mentioned Stone Acres and Jane, and I'd like to pivot to that property and that project now. As that Forbes article we referenced noted, Stone Acres is, is a property just down the street in Stonington, Connecticut, that has been in your family for 10 generations. And in its latest iteration, the farm has become sort of a critical partner, I understand, to this restaurant group and, and so much more than that. So tell us a little bit about Stone Acres and what you're doing there. Sure. So, yeah, so, so as you mentioned, Paul, the farm dates back to 1765. It's been a working farm for over 250 years. It started as a provision farm that would supply produce, veggies, etc., to the steamboat trade and also the railroad <laughs> that would come through Stonington on its way from New York, Newport, Boston area. So that's sort of where the farming started. It was a dairy farm for many decades in the 20th century, sort of early 1900s through really the, the mid-80s. In its latest iteration as a farm, we are a working produce and flower farm. It was sold out of our immediate family uh, about six years ago to a new group of like-minded investors within this community that really wanted to see it stay as a, a working farm and open space. There's still members of, of my family that are within that investor group, but it really goes to show how this space, this farm, this 65-acre property has has been a part of this community and continues to be hopefully into the, the next 250 years. So we're really excited of everything that we're doing here. As I mentioned, we are a working farm. We work very closely with the 85th Day Restaurant Group community, and we also have other wholesale partners within this community. We have a farm stand that's open seven days a week. We have 200-plus CSA, which is Community Supported Agriculture Share Program that we have here on site as well. And then we also have a lot of different farm events. Dan mentioned the pop-up dinners that we do here. Pre-COVID, we also had a lot of weddings and we're actually doing very small micro-weddings now to sort of 50-person outdoor celebrations for couples that still wanted to get married this year, but wanted to do it in, in a sort of outdoor safe space. And we can certainly do that on our property here at Stone Acres. So lots of exciting things going on even in this new in this new world that we're living in. Yes, indeed. And and the buzz is palpable about Stone Acres. It's really an amazing project you guys have underway. So if you were to ask me what segment of the economy would suffer most from COVID-19, in addition to airlines and commercial real estate and things like that, I would probably add restaurants and their suppliers to the shortlist. You guys have suffered, I'm sure, through this. And Dan, you mentioned some of that with your employees. 
And yet you've also stood out in your ability to adapt. For example, Dan, I know you've been expanding Oyster Club while the doors have been closed. And Jane, I know that Stone Acres has shifted from some of those events and some of that wholesale business you mentioned to a retail focus in a successful way. So can you guys talk about these or other adjustments you've made through this crisis and sort of the thinking that's gone on behind the scenes? Yeah, for sure. You hit the nail right on the head. I mean, when you look nationally, you know, I know you mentioned airlines and commercial real estate, and for sure, they're close to the top. But when you look nationally in terms of number of jobs lost and number or an amount of revenue lost, the restaurant and hospitality industry stands alone at the top of all those metrics. No industry has been, been hit harder. Nationally and here in Connecticut, and in particular here in eastern Connecticut, where, where our local economy does depend so much on tourism and hospitality. So for us, the need to pivot and recreate was not just something that we did as a creative exercise, but it was really an exercise in survival. The restaurants, in particular Grass and Bone, was probably the biggest pivot of all. And in that restaurant, you know, in a matter of a few days, we bolstered our to-go offerings. We created an entire online market with delivery points and drop-off points throughout the region. You know, we did all these things because the simple fact of the matter was the population in the area certainly didn't go away. If anything, it increased as folks from some of the major urban areas moved into the greater mystic area. Obviously, these people still needed to eat. They just weren't going to restaurants. So it was our challenge in very short order to figure out how to get quality food, local food, sustainably produced foods into the hands of folks that would normally come eat in our restaurants, but now because of, at the time, mandates from the state government with dining rooms being closed and also a very real medical and pandemic scare, even if they could go out to eat in restaurants, people would choose not to. So how did we get food to them? And we've done that very successfully at Graff and Bell to the point where our business during this COVID period has actually increased substantially over the same period year prior. You mentioned the Oyster Club. We had a multi-phase, very substantial renovation in the pipeline, and we had started that early in January when COVID hit in mid-March, and when the writing on the wall was was obvious that the closures were going to be a matter of months and not weeks, it was a big roll of the dice, and uh, it's either going to go down as the smartest or, or dumbest decision that the advice has ever made. But we decided to move forward with a very substantial renovation project at Oyster Club, basically a full full gut job and rebuild. We're very happy to say that that project is near completion. We should be open in the next couple of weeks. But then once again, how do we pivot? How do we make being closed work for us? Well, the answer for the team at Oyster Club was the brick and mortar of Oyster Club was closed but we created an outdoor restaurant here at the farm. It's a dinner series that we call Summer Nights. It's a a four-night-a-week pop-up that Oyster Club has been hosting here at Stone Acres since early June, and we're hosting it for the next couple weeks as well. That was a a really wonderful way for us to bring our team at Oyster Club back to work, to utilize the beautiful property of Stone Acres, which makes for one of the most amazing dining rooms in the country. And two, to be able to provide our guests with a dining experience that is not only magical and delicious, but it's also, you know, safe. People feel more comfortable outside. There's no question about that. 
So for us to be able to bring Oyster Club to Stone Acres in an outdoor setting was something that made a lot of sense and has been very well received. And also from, just to jump in here, to from the Stone Acres side, as I mentioned, uh, we used to host a lot of weddings. And so many of our couples for the summertime decided that they were going to either postpone to next year or just sort of hold off until things became a little bit more defined with, with how the larger events business is going to go. And so we have this beautiful garden, this beautiful space, and it was not being used. So, you know, we sort of put our heads together and said, how can we open this up to the community? And of course, Oyster Club was the perfect match for that. So it's, it's one of those discussions that actually works beautifully for everyone involved, which has been great. Well, I don't know if you caught it, but I, uh, I described the Stone Acres pop-up here with Oyster Club as magically delicious, so I'm pretty sure I just copied Lucky Charm. Yeah. Uh, might, be, might be getting a call for that later. So. <laughs> you, you may be. You may be. We can help you find representation, Dan. So you'll both have to forgive me for this next question, because I'm trying to draw a comparison that, that may not actually be there, but as someone whose job it is to help people invest their wealth, and my partners obviously do the same thing, we're always thinking about diversification and risk management in the portfolio. And I, I wondered, Dan and Jane, do you think of the businesses that you run and own as a kind of diversified portfolio? In other words, sort of a, a set of assets that's built to weather all conditions? I mean, because it seems to have turned out that way, but I wonder if that's the way you've always thought of it. Yeah, there's, there's no question that if you look at, at least within the restaurant, if you look at how we're set up and the different models that we have, what they offer, who they appeal to, the size and scope, the price points, all of those things, there's no question it, it is a diversified portfolio. And that is by design. Part of that has to do certainly pre-COVID, the thinking behind that is, the reality of, of a relatively small community we live in, you know, we're not operating in Manhattan. So in order to have multiple locations and multiple restaurants, by nature, they, they need to be different and appeal to different slices of the pie and, and different offerings. There's certainly a reality that has been strengthened, I believe, during COVID, which is we have seen the power of local food communities there was a time not that long ago, a few months ago, where, you know, the nationally and in the news, you were hearing about food shortages, in particular meat shortages. There was a real crisis in terms of food access. Mm-hmm. The great thing about having and working with small farmers and local farmers in particular is that we were able to weather that storm. We had these relationships built. These folks and these farmers were not affected by the national you know, meat markets and commodity markets and things like that. So, yes, we do look at our model as, as one that is diversified and done intentionally. It's, it's a very specific and very intentional decision that, that we make. And going forward, any new business that we might open and new projects that we look at, those factors are certainly considered towards the top of the list. You know, how does it work within the greater food community? Are we cannibalizing any of our other businesses or projects? And, you know, does it make sense for the relatively, like a typical relatively small community that we live in? Yeah. And I think that on a slightly more micro level, just with with Stoneacre, why we have been able to weather 
this pandemic so well is because we have a diversified business line, you know, in a larger picture with the farm, with our events, with our amazing education center that we have here on site called the Yellow Farmhouse Education Center, which is all about food and and farm-based education. But also with our, our farming business, we have, you know, a very strong wholesale arm, we have a very strong retail arm, and then we have our strong CSA, which is a little bit of a mix of both the the wholesale and the retail. So, you know, you can sort of look at this as a a weighted balance where most of our wholesale partners and restaurants were closed, our retail was off the charts. We opened up our farm stand early in March because it was a safe space that people could come and shop for produce. We worked very closely with other artisan farms in the area that were also having problems moving their product because their number one outlet was, was wholesale and they didn't have farmer's markets and they didn't have a farm stand. So we've really become this community hub for not just the, our customer base, but also for the farming community as a whole, which has been really great. Yeah, it, it's been amazing to watch. And I'll, I'll add to that retail story that it was one of the few places where one could buy a birthday present over the last several months. And so Various members of my family have received cheese and eggplants and, and, and various things, T-shirts from, from that great farm stand. So thank you for that as well. So I'm going to cross over from business to personal now and ask you guys about the Jane and Dan story briefly. I wonder how you guys met. And Jane, I know you grew up in Stonington, and as have your ancestors, but how did you both decide to settle here with your businesses and your family? So... Dan and I met one summer, I don't even know how long ago, maybe 10 years ago. I'd forgotten our anniversary the other day. That shows where I am in our life right now. <laughs> you got a lot in your mind. I won't mention that now that's on the record. And we met through a virtual friend. Dan was down here reopening one of the great historic hotels over in Rhode Island called the Ocean House. And, and I was here for the summer working on a political campaign. And we met that summer. I actually ended up moving back to. New York City shortly after the summer ended, and but we had still been dating. And at that point, you had just purchased Oyster Club yeah. in Mystic. And once well, uh, the building that would become sorry, Oyster Club, the building that would become Oyster Club. And I think both of us sort of realized that, that this probably was going to stick and it, it still has at this point, which is great. And I ended up moving home again about eight months later which your club which your club opened and the rest is sort of history so here we are today so if someone had asked me 15 years ago if i would be back in stonington running the farm and married to train a podcast and married to a restaurant guy i probably would have would have laughed but i i guess that's sort of how all great stories happen is they just sort of unfold organically fair enough so, it, you, yeah, Dan, anything how did, to add? How did you make it to <laughs> <laughs> exactly how you said. No, I mean, when I moved down here to be a part of that, that opening summer of the Ocean House, which in and of itself was an extraordinary experience, I had it in my mind at that point. I had been working in, in other restaurants before that in New York City and then in Hartford and came down to be a part of this Ocean House project. And I knew that my next project, was going to be one of my own, but I didn't know where. And so that summer, then I was at the Ocean House. I began looking around the area. I looked in Westerly. I looked in, in Westbrook. I looked in Stonington. I looked in New London. I even looked as far away as St. John in the USBI. And uh, <laughs> thank God I didn't end up down there. But I found uh, the little property that's now Oyster Club. And at that point, Jane and I had 
and dating that, you know, that fall after the, the summer of working at the Ocean House. And, you know, it's, it's been a wild ride. There's obviously to try to separate business and family in our business, especially when the farm has, you know, 10 generations of her family involved <laughs> in it. And that's just the dedication and work that's required in most small businesses, but certainly in the restaurant industry, just in terms of sheer number of hours, you have to have that that strong family and, and business connection. You, you, it's impossible to separate them out. They need to, to coexist, and, and they do in our case. Well, actually, a funny story sort of to add to that is I actually told someone the other day our anniversary, which I had remembered as September 28th, mm-hmm. which is actually the opening day of Oyster Club. Yeah, that's the Oyster Club anniversary. Our wedding anniversary is September 22nd. So there you go. Just one of the same here. That is fascinating. And, and, and I know that you know, you've also more recently been raising a, a little boy while juggling all of these businesses and the interaction between family and, and commerce. So it's impressive. And congratulations to you both. So I'm going to move back to business now and, and ask a, a short question, and that is, what is next for you two? Uh, so jump ball. Well, for, for the restaurant, yeah. So for, um, for, for the restaurant, for the 85th Day Food Community, which is our restaurant group name, we have the Oyster Club renovation uh, coming down the home stretch. We also have a new bakery and pizza shop in the works called Nana's. It is also located in, in downtown Mystic. It's a tiny footprint of space, but it's going to be a lot of fun and hopefully a welcome addition to our community. And once again, when we look at, going back to your earlier question of diversification, and we, part of diversification for, for me when I look at it is need and how does business fit into our model, but also into the community's model. And one of the things that we've been doing at Winster Club since day one is facing our own bread. And we use really beautiful organic local grains. We do sourdough overnight fermentation, make really beautiful bread. And there's there's been a real strong desire in our in our community to buy that bread. We now retail it here at the farm. We retail it at grass and bone, and we can't keep it on the shelf. So we said, you know what? Let's let's open a bakery. And while we're opening the bakery, we have beautiful sourdough dough in house. Let's get a piece of it and make some really amazing pizzas with produce from the farm and cheese from the Mystic Cheese Company and sausage and charcuterie from grass and bone to put on top. So it's kind of a natural progression for us in terms of of next businesses to open. You know, the nature of bakeries and pizza shops are very much uh, family-friendly, priced right, built-to-go, all things that are, are really important, especially in the world that we live in now with COVID. So, so that's what's next on the horizon for us in the restaurant too. Yeah, Stone Acres doesn't have any big plans like that to, to open up anything new. But, you know, I, I think that what we have found this year is an enormous amount of support and demand from our local community to continue to produce and source local food, produce, and support local artisans. So our farm stand market has been open here really seasonally at this point. And I think one of the things that we're looking at for the remainder of this year and really into next is, is how to keep those farm stand doors open on an annual basis. How can we continue to do pop-up dinners here because the community has really enjoyed them so much. So I think really 
working on and building on what our foundation is right now is what we're looking for in the future. That sounds good. And we're all looking forward to the next steps. Each each one along the way has been so successful. So yeah. last question for you too. And, and Jane, I know your maiden name is Simmons, which some may recognize as the name of a former U.S. congressman and mayor in these parts. And Dan, I understand you've engaged with government a bit as the a former member of Governor Lamont's COVID reopening task force and then the chair of the Connecticut Restaurant Association. So to put you both on the spot, here's a yes, no, or maybe question. Can we expect to see your, either of your names on the ballot anytime soon? Together? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to get a co-ballot? That would be interesting, right? The miser ticket, yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I don't know. I mean, I look at you know, I can speak for both of us or just myself is, is so much of what I do and what our team does here on the farm is so part of public service yeah. <laughs> that at this point, it doesn't need to be an elected office to be giving back to our community. You know, I really do feel like we're in the service industry and, and public servants. And we see that, as Dan said, with the very blurred lines in between work and personal life, because you believe so greatly in, in what you're doing, that it, it's all one. And that's one of the amazing things about raising our son within these two worlds of farming and, and restaurant group. He's got this incredible family that extends out into these communities. And it's just a really, a really special thing. So I don't know about election. I think that, that, was, that, was, that was the answer just like a politician. Yeah, I was just going to say, spoken like a true politician, Jane. So we'll, we'll take that as a maybe. So any... any yeah. <laughs> any, yeah, no, I mean, I, I will say at least for the next 10 years, I've, uh, I've definitely got my hands full. And truly, though, I mean, what Jane said, I am very active, as you noted, I'm currently chair of the Board of Connecticut Restaurant Association, and we spend a lot of time up State Capitol in Hartford and, and advocating on behalf of small businesses, restaurants in particular across the state. And, and I just, from having a front row seat in these discussions, in policy discussions and debates, I'm confident that I can have as much, if not more, of an impact in my current role with the Restaurant Association and also as, as a small business owner as a, and an employer in this community, I, I just feel strongly that I can certainly make a difference to continue down the path that, that we're on. So I don't foresee that changing anytime soon, but you know. Fair enough. Well, I think you guys are both in very good and very productive spots for now. So we'll leave it there. So any final thoughts you two for our audience before we break? Oh gosh. So support your local community yeah. and your local farmers and your local fishermen, your local artisans. I mean, we're all out here working so hard right now. So, you know, we appreciate everything. But I think that's the biggest thing, just be kind to one another and support local. Yeah, I would agree. You know, the key for for small businesses to get through this pandemic is, is really to adapt and, and pivot and be creative, but also to hang on. There will come a time, hopefully sooner rather than later, when things do get back to some degree of normal. They'll never be the same normal that we knew before, but but hopefully it won't be too far off. And, you know, especially in our industry, every single day, I get an email, I read an article, or talk to a friend who is closing their doors for good. And that is a, a very scary reality. So for the folks that are out there listening to, to the folks in our communities and communities around the area, 
to continue to support your local businesses, your small businesses, your neighbors, your farmers, your fishermen, your, your local restaurant owners. That support is so necessary and so appreciated. And hopefully that's what we'll get a lot of these folks through this storm. Well, Jane and Dan, on behalf of my partners, Tom Lips, Andrew Worthington, Ashley Martella, Paula Johnston, and the entire UBS Long River Wealth Management team, thanks so much for your time today and keep up the good work. Thanks, Paula. Thanks.